The Mind Sponsor for today is upcoming podcast series, Personality Sleuths. Personality Sleuths will be co-hosted by Dr. J. Galen Buckwalter, whose career includes being the founding chief science officer of eHarmony and me, leveraging my experience as a venture capitalist and entrepreneur. We will analyze personality using a speech-based proprietary AI algorithm, along with the clues evident in social media and the popular press. Each episode will dissect the life of someone famous who gained the trust of many before becoming notorious for duping people, committing a crime, or losing exorbitant amounts of money, all while the clues were there all along and how they spoke. Tune in soon. On this episode, we have Rebecca Warfield. Rebecca was born and raised in Montana. She exhibited an entrepreneurial spirit since young, launching innovative businesses from her school days. She studied TV and film in college. Having spent some time in California, she returned and developed a career in live event production and artist management. During that time, she worked with Dick Clark Productions and spent time on the Golden Globes, the American Music Awards, and the Miss Universe organization. On the talent management side, Rebecca launched her own platform called The Chicane Group. She has worked with Aerosmith and specifically Steven Tyler, as well as Julian Lennon, son of John Lennon. She is also on the advisory board of Janie's Fund, a nonprofit launched by Steven Tyler. Rebecca, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's a real pleasure. You've got uh, quite the set of accomplishments in, in your career. And uh, I love that uh, you're an entrepreneur as well and constantly taking on new challenges, it would appear. And uh, I just, I love that that sense of dynamicism. And so uh, when I um, saw your background, I made a point to reach out to Angela, our, our mutual contact and friend and say, I'd really like to have her on the show. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Yeah, that was such a such a surprise, and I've listened to uh, the the podcast, and I really enjoy the way that you you know that you go through the journey of you know how people have gotten to where they are. I think it's really interesting. I do appreciate that, Rebecca. Thank you. That's a, that's a very kind compliment. Um, so, since you've heard a few of these, you know how we always begin. We go back to the very beginning. And so tell us about where you were born and where you grew up. So I was born in a little town called Big Fork, Montana, mm. uh, in the northwest corner of Montana, near the Flathead Lake, Glacier Park, the okay. border of Canada is about an hour away. Um, right. And my parents had moved there in the late 70s from New Jersey. They just packed up. Oh and decided that they would move to Montana and build a log cabin in the middle of the woods. Quite so, the contrast. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I think they were they were definitely, um, you know, just ready to start their own lives, very different than how they were both brought up. And my mom actually, so my brother's a little bit older than me. He's, he's two and a half years older than me. So my mom actually had my brother, when they didn't have any water or electricity in their log cabin in Montana, um, she lived that way. And I think to myself as a mom, like, oh my God, I can't believe how she, she did that. How? Uh, yeah. by, by the time I was born, they did have power <laughs> and water. Progress, you know, I, I grew up in, a, in just such a beautiful kind of storybook uh, cabin in the woods, you know, the nearest neighbors were two miles away. And 
the there were 30 wolves that one of the neighbors had they had kind of a wolf sanctuary so many times i would go to sleep listening to the the wolves howling you know at the moon really so it was uh i look back at that time because it was we worked very hard you know my dad kind of he was a hunter and a sportsman and gathered his own firewood and you know kind of really focused on self-sufficiency and learning how to live off the land and uh and that's really how we live so there was so much time for imagination in the woods and encounters with animals and uh bears and um you know deer in the yard every day and elk and all kinds of little critters coming through and you know raccoons and chipmunks and so I really lived that life uh, until I was about 12. I lived in that cabin. And uh, so it's just a very stark contrast to, to how I live now. But, you yeah. know, I do look back to that, you know, you can really kind of hear the wind breezing through and that quiet, you know, that's something that I don't think a lot of people um, get today, right? Yeah. You have to really yeah. seek it out. Um, that stillness is really um, amazing. And I think it's actually troubling to a lot of people. They kind of need to have a little bit of noise. Otherwise, they, they feel out of sorts, especially urban dwellers. So right. that's a unique way to, that you, you grew up. Um, I'm so curious, Rebecca. So much of your career has been devoted to culture and the arts, and the promotion of artists. Um, what kind of access to that did you have growing up? I didn't have any access to, to any of that. I really did, you know, very small town, rural area. My mom, uh, she did homeschool us when we were, when we were little and, and then I went into public school, but, uh, she, she just really instilled in us, uh, you know, education and, and um, you know, strong writing and strong reading comprehension. That was something that I learned from a very young age. And again, I just had time to be a free thinker. And so even when I was in grade school, it was actually the times uh, Garth Brooks was huge in the nineties. And I'd, I don't know if you remember just seeing these TV um, concerts that were just right. massive. And they just blew everyone away, no matter if they were a country uh, fan or not. And uh, I remember we would get those, the TV guides, you know, we would get those in the mail. And and I would cut out images of, uh, I remember it was like Garth Brooks and maybe Betty White and just, you know, the Friends cast that was, and I remember kind of putting them onto collages and making art out of that. And I was very into drawing and painting and um, all of those things. And uh, so I had an, an intrigued, I, I was very intrigued by entertainment and it always seemed like a gateway to another world. And I, and so even from a really young age, I, I just knew that that is, I was going to do that. You know, yeah. I certainly didn't know uh, about artist management or about, you know, TV producing at that age, but I knew I wanted to be in that somewhere, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, quite clear. Yeah, that the the spark uh, kind of occurred at that at that time. Um, you mentioned leaving the log cabin at twelve. Did you move to another city at that point? I did. I stayed in Big Fork. Uh, I I lived there. I I went to high school there, and actually moved down to Orange County the year after high school. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. Oh. I was. I was uh, I was very entrepreneurial from a young age. I I, I had my first job at, at twelve. I was scooping ice cream for a local ice cream shop, and then uh, I started a jean painting business where I would take your jeans and oh. I would art all over them and then give them oh. back to you. And and oh. I started doing that at twelve, and then at fourteen I got a, a job as a busser at the nicest restaurant in Big Fork. It was called Showtime. And I worked there for seven years, seven summers. And the gentleman who ran that restaurant was incredible. His name was Blue Funk, is Blue Funk. And he ran it with his wife, Rose. And he uh, really took in all these kids from, from, you know, different circles. And we all became really tight. It was it was really a family, but he ran an incredibly tight ship. Uh, you know, there were very strict rules and uh, he, he didn't really take any, um, you, you know, you, you didn't, you couldn't have an excuse. I mean, it was, it was, it was really instilled in me, you know, a set of rules and a set of discipline that I'm really glad that I have today. And I look back at that and it was per perfection. It was a strive for perfection and excellence and details. Every single oh. thing had to be perfect. And so he was, um, he was just really a mastermind. And, um, and so I left, I, I moved down to Orange County for a year. I wasn't sure what I was doing. I went to floral design school. I was trying to figure out what business I wanted to do and what I wanted to jump into artistically. Um, and at that time, unfortunately, when I was in Orange County, I was 18 and my dad unexpectedly passed away. Oh goodness, and, I'm so sorry. Yeah, and so that was, you know, such a turning point for me when I look back because I could have kind of floundered around in Southern California and I, 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 I wasn't sure what I was gonna do. And, you know, obviously I flew immediately back and my mom at the time talked me into going to Montana State University to their TV and film program. Gotcha. And and it, yeah, and it was something that I, at the time I thought, I don't really like Bozeman. I'm not, I'm not a cowgirl. I'm not, you know, very <laughs> right. different culture. Yeah. from you know from northwest montana northwest montana and southwest montana are actually quite different yeah. and so i wound up moving there and i absolutely loved the tv and oh, film program it was it's so yeah. hands-on yeah. uh really amazing and bozeman became I wound up absolutely loving Bozeman too. Nice, that's great. <laughs> and still do. It's now featured in uh, that show Yellowstone that's been on the air. Oh <laughs> yeah, Kevin uh, Costner in that it's one. It's definitely it's having a moment. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's so fascinating. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious, Rebecca, uh, when you chose Orange, 
County right after high school. Was there a particular reason Orange County was the draw? There, there was. It wasn't a profound reason. My boyfriend at the time uh, was working in Fullerton, and yeah. it was a group of guy friends who all moved down there. And I was a little bit of uh, like Wendy and the Lost Boys. I, I, I was <laughs> yeah, the the girl who joined them for the yeah. you yeah. know. So, and I thought, you know what, I'll just, I'll check it out. I'll see what it's like. And yeah, um, no, that makes sense. Makes and it was sense. good. You know, I, I do kind of believe in that. Uh, I don't know if I would feel like this, if it was my daughter or my, my stepdaughters, but uh, that gap year mentality where it's, you know, a lot of Europeans and Australians, I feel like really take advantage of that, you know, taking a year off in between high school and college yeah. and kind of finding yourself in a sense or you know traveling and yeah, uh, yeah. I I was always very intrigued with traveling and exploring the world and so uh, well that I makes a ton of, yeah it makes a ton of sense and uh I was also just reflecting that you know you were experimenting with different things while you were there floral design school like you mentioned um and then i think the loss of your father was kind of pivotal and i just see like him and um bluefin being like role models for you the entrepreneurial mm -hmm. self-reliance of your father and the kind of um achieve the highest standard or perfectionism of sorts yeah. of, and and i wonder if you know you're going through the loss of your father made you think about what you really wanted to do and that kind of put you on this path and trajectory to uh to to come towards um uh artists and and uh artist management and yeah. I, and i also find it ironic that the name of the restaurant was showtime, <laughs> showtime. oh right right and it was so, it, it was i had a little more creativity to it it was it was show t-h-y-m-e oh. <laughs> it, it had a little flavor to nice, it nice nice uh, little pun there that's yeah. great it was incredible, you know, such yeah. a place. They had a, there was a playhouse next door, a summer playhouse that also, you know, exposed me to all of these musicals my whole life. They would oh, do nice. shows every single day in the summer. Yeah. And yeah. although I never really got into acting and drama back then, uh, you know, it's something that I was, I was always interested in, but maybe didn't have the confidence enough at the time to, to really go into that, you know? Wow. Um, wow. But, uh, but yeah, and I would say, you know, I think when my dad passed away, it was more about, it was probably the first time I ever really just, uh, you know, listened to my mom and kind of did mm. what she said to do. Mm. <laughs> I think she basically applied for me and told me when it started. I was also a cheerleader in high school and she signed me up for the uh, MSU cheerleading tryouts as well, which okay. I, I was on the team. Um, okay. For the first couple of years in college, nice. yeah. So well, like, sounds like she got that one right. Yeah, yeah. We have she to give did. her credit. Thank you <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I imagine you uh, were involved in a handful of activities and and working probably as well while you were in college. Tell us about those experiences. Yeah. So I had I had a great experience in college. I I, I really did uh, meet the the best of friends that I that are still my friends today. I did join a I joined a sorority there. I was super involved with everything. I was always a very good student, but uh, and you know was on student council there and homecoming and cheerleading and 
you know, all of the above. My, uh, my biggest success in my sorority was um, being the VP of recruitment. And that is kind of telling, I feel like, because it's really a lot of, you know, what I do today yep. in terms of yep. business development and company That's right. and, That's you right. know, taking those, I would make everyone rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and, uh, you know, and, but, but it was great. I, I, uh, I, I had different jobs as well. I did the floral design. I bartended, you know, I was a typical college kid, but I worked really, really hard on my school and with my obligations and with school, you know, it was really interesting. I, uh, the program was very hands-on. So the, you know, and it's very highly ranked in the TV and film world. I think it's, yeah. it goes, you know, in order it's NYU, USC, Montana State, which wow. is okay. it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. But the program is exceptional. And, you know, it really taught us how to collaborate in groups across grades and across classes. So you would kind of get recruited just like you would in the freelance world mm. uh, in real life and work on other people's projects. And it kind of, above all, it really established the vibe that you need to have when you go into the workforce in that field. Yeah, yeah, you need absolutely. to reach out and figure out how to help other people and, and work and, you know, get involved with other people's projects. And then they do the same for you. And you really um, establish this just, you know, this collaborative kind of nucleus, you know, and, right. uh, and so that was, that was really a great, uh, a great experience, really, yeah. really a great school. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's great. You know, Rebecca, when I look at your career, they're sort of, it feels segmented in, in different blocks. And of course you had a, a long um, uh, working uh, relationship at uh, Dick Clark Productions, but guide us about the time post-college and until that point, because a, a number of exciting things happened, including being involved with the Britney Spears circus tour. Um, yes. But yeah, if you could walk us through that, that'd be awesome. Sure, sure. And I, I, people always laugh at this, this part of the story. Uh, when I was in college, as I was, as I said, I was bartending and one of the other bartenders said, you know, if we move to Las Vegas, we could probably make a lot of money bartending, you know, over the summer. So I heard that and I thought, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually went down and I looked up and I oh, remember nice. doing this at the time, lasvegasjobs.com. And up pops the Academy of Country Music Awards looking for a mm. production assistant. Wow. And they wanted someone based in Las Vegas who really knew Las Vegas. And it was a starting position next week. So wow. I called the number immediately. I sent my resume in. I called the number and it was, they answered Dick Clark Productions and it was in LA. And I thought to myself, oh my God, right? This was like yeah. a massive yeah. deal at the time. And for me, you know, I really didn't have any contacts. I, I knew nothing. So it felt really, really substantial. And it was. So I thought I... I'm really qualified for this. They said, are you based in Las Vegas? Do you know the city? 
I had never been to Vegas. I was, uh, I was 20. I had just turned 21. I'd never been to Vegas, but I thought to myself, uh, I have traveled the world by myself. I went to Europe by myself and traveled around the year before. And I thought I can just fake it. I, I'll get there a couple <laughs> days in advance and I will, yeah. uh, I'll figure it out. Literally, so I did, yeah. I said, yes, I'm from here. Wow. And, uh, I did get the job that way. So I, uh, I drove myself down to Las Vegas and I worked on Fantastic. the awards. I still work and am in touch with all of those people that I worked with on that very first show. Oh, wow. became, they became Perfect. really close friends um two days into the job I they asked me to start working in the talent department and during rehearsals and show I was all of a sudden you know going to Willie Nelson's bus and let telling him it was time to go go to the stage or you know riding in in vans back and forth between rehearsals with all the talent on the show you know amazing um and I was never really a big country fan until then. And my uh, experience bartending in college, the music videos that would always play were country music oh, videos. Yeah. By yeah. the time I went there, I actually knew all the artists. I knew who was who. <laughs> it, it's one of those things that like everything you do prepares you for the next thing, right? I love that. Uh, That's so great. But yeah, so I wound up building over the next seven years, everyone's freelance on those companies. So they'll they'll ask you to come in and work the American Music Awards. And then gotcha. and are you available for the Golden Globes? And can you do mm. Miss Universe? And can you do Miss USA? And all of those shows, it got to the point where I was working so much that I wound up having to make the big decision at one point to either continue going back and forth I would drive myself down and back back and forth from Montana and wow. at some point and I was also managing a jewelry store in Montana oh my and, and so at one point in time I had to make the decision to actually take the leap and it was uh it was a three-month gig for HBO their comedy festival okay. and programming so I wound up doing that and from that point on I never I, I always was working. So yeah. it, it was definitely the right decision. But I wound up doing that during the writer's strike. I think it was 2007. Right. A lot of shows started canceling. And I had kind of worked my way up at that point to uh, as a talent executive on most of the shows that I was working in, working on or a talent producer, where you're really booking all the talent and then coordinating all the details and running a team. And so I wound up knowing everyone. I knew all the teams. I knew what they were like to work with, the record labels, the publicists, mm. the management mm. companies. And so there was one, so again, I, I kept hearing this. A lot of people were losing their jobs. And someone said to me, you should be in management. You know, you make commission on what the artist makes. And you're always kind of on the artist side anyway. You should, you should mm. be on the management side. So I internalized that and I thought about the one team that I really enjoyed working with the very most out of everybody. And I emailed that one person. <laughs> and his name is DJ Walton. And he 
happened and he was with alicia keys i was really impressed right. with them they were always right. really buffed up and so he i said to him i i think i'd like to you know transition over to the management side and i remember i just got an email back that said are you serious with like 20 question marks you know and he happened to be gearing up to launch the britney spears circus tour um and I, so I hadn't, you know, I didn't think about wanting to reach out to Britney's team. I didn't know them actually. I, I really yeah, hadn't yeah. done that much. And uh, so it kind of, it was about the people and it was about yeah. the relationship and about thinking to myself, who of everyone I know, what would be the best case scenario for me? And that's who I reached out to. So that so I didn't reach out to anyone else. I wound up out on tour four months later, I was out on tour on the biggest tour that had ever gone out in the history of music touring. And it was well done. Massive. That's so great. And <laughs> thank you. It was massive. You know, we had over 200 people on tour. It was its own wow. society. We had, uh, you know, 18, 18 uh, tour buses and 36 trucks. It was, uh, wow. it was quite the experience. And so I wound up continuing on with Larry Rudolph, who, you know, is her longtime manager since the beginning. And he really became my mentor in management. Um, nice. And I worked with him very closely at his company for three years. Um, and, you know, with Brittany, she's always involved in so many exciting things, whether it's the shows or product or, uh, you know, TV projects, you know, I, I got to see a little bit of everything and also, you know, a very political dynamic and infrastructure as well. Um, so that was, it was definitely uh, an exciting and massive move into artist management. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's phenomenal. And that was all at the suggestion of somebody. Uh, you did when you were doing talent coordination, you didn't really have this as a career objective. I didn't, I didn't really even understand it or knew, knew what that meant at the time, yeah. you know, and, and it was actually another talent producer. She actually just kind of mentioned it in passing. And I thought, Hmm, I got to look into that. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Well, um, I'm so curious now, like, when did you have the idea that I'm going to start my own firm? Yeah, so I had, I worked uh, with, with Larry at the time we had merged with Irving Azoff's company at Frontline Management. And it was a big conglomeration, also just a very exciting time. And we grew the company. We had a lot of up and coming artists and and other you know major major artists that that we worked with and at some point in time i i guess i sort of outgrew the position i was i was kind of working day to day but also you know working directly for for larry and his partner and expanding the company and uh also doing some shows on the side and you know, I, I thought to myself, I think I'd like to, I think I've hit the top of where I can go with Brittany. I'll never be the number one to Brittany or the number two. You know, I was on the management team. And um, while I certainly was involved with everything, I thought, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm out, I've outgrown this position. So 
I decided to launch my own company at the time. Uh, and that was 2012. It's, and uh, that was the chicane group. And I, my vision for that was really about artist management or talent management and also talent producing. So mm. kind of putting the two together and working both sides of that. Um, so that was, that was 2012. And, you know, we still kind of do that. Uh, however, it's taken a bit of a turn with some of the tech, uh, you know, some of the tech interest and the tech companies that we work with. Um, but once I launched Chic Chicane Group in 2013, I was talent producing on Miss Universe in, uh, I was in Russia and wow. I wound up signing Steven Tyler to management. Amazing. And Tell us that story because I think it's a it's a fabulous one. <laughs> sure, sure. So it's actually also there was a little uh, I guess precursor to that. So I hadn't spoken to Larry for about a year when I when I left, and we were on good terms. And he called me out of the blue one day and he said, uh, "What would you think about managing Steven Tyler with me?" Hmm. And I thought. Yeah, I mean, let me let me think about it. I, I was kind of busy with some other things. And of course, I mean, Stephen is a is a worldwide legend, you know, of course, I would be interested. And so I, I actually called him back. And I said, Yes, I'd love to take a meeting with you and him. So four months go by, no meeting. Uh, six months go by, no meeting. I find I find out he signed with another management company. So I thought, okay, that one, that was, That's that was nice. I got a call, you know, right, didn't get the right. So I was working on Miss Universe. We booked all the judges and the performances. So I get an email um, from actually Donald Trump's office at the time. And it said, <laughs> Um, you know, even, yeah, of course, at the time he owned Miss Universe and Miss USA. Right. So, um, different times for sure. Um, <laughs> but he, they had said, you know, Stephen is, is confirmed on the show. And I thought, wow, you know, this is, uh, this is interesting. I'm definitely going to yeah. meet him. And, you know, so at some point during that process, um, you know, I would never have approached him about management because he had been signed with management. And his assistant reached out to me and she said, we're parting ways with our manager. So please just come directly to us at this point. And there was so much that needed to happen with them in terms of Russian visas and travel and everything that they needed to do. And without operating, in with a manager, I kind of just jumped into the role um, and really, uh, in a way, assumed the position because I knew they they needed that hole to yeah. be filled to yeah. even show up and be able to be in Russia. So I uh, so I met him. Um, of all days, this is really interesting. I'm kind of a synchronicity geek. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a firm belief in, you know, the day that people uh, depart this world is a really strong uh, sort of 
portal or dimension, you know, uh, Mm. gateway. And the day that my dad passed away was November 7th. And uh, actually the the day that Stephen rolled up uh, in Russia was November 7th. So I actually wow. met him on that same day. Oh, that's um, amazing. And so that's, that's pretty powerful. We were, we were a really, really dynamic duo and uh, we really hit it off from the beginning. Uh, we definitely, you know, related in terms of growing up in, in, uh, in the woods and we both mm. really kind of clung to that and that hard work ethic and the perfectionism and, yeah the striving for excellence and, uh, and, you know, debating anything, anything possible that there could be a hole in, you know, um, <laughs> and so we really hit it off. And so I wound up bringing him back and the right thing to do. I called Larry and I said, you're never going to believe this, but <laughs> he doesn't have management now. And, you know, I want to bring you up to his house in LA to meet him. So yeah. Um, so we met a few times and it was actually a perfect fit, you know, so Great. that was, uh, you know, managing Steven and really through Steven co-managing Aerosmith with the Aerosmith, Aerosmith management, exactly. right. um, you know, was a whole other world of management, you know, between right. Brittany and Steven, I managed different TV personalities. I had, um, you know, Mark Ballas from Dancing with the Stars and another dancer and, you know, different kind of uh, actors and festivals and, you know, different things like that. Um, but with Steven, you know, it was all about, uh, you know, what can we do that you've never done before? Uh, and I, and I was really focused on, you know, completing all kinds of new things with him. And, and that's what led did. to the solo album. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nice. And, you know, so great. His, uh, I had so many people telling us, well, you'll never finish a solo album. You'll never get him to finish one. And, you know, <laughs> of course, it was him, him who finished it. I didn't, I didn't yeah. do it. But it was yeah. about, you know, really helping to have the right environment around him to be able to, to follow through on those things. And he did very well, you know, and back to back Super Bowl commercials. And then, launched his um his charity Jamie's fund for abuse right girls. tell us about that yeah yeah obviously so, that's based know, on the song Janie's got a gun that's right that's right and for 30 years he had wanted to uh launch that charity you know and I think it was it's it's hard as a manager to concentrate you know so much of your efforts on something that isn't bringing in revenue and might yeah. be drawing a lot of your time. So I understand like maybe it wasn't the right time over those 30 years just didn't, didn't come up, didn't, you know, come to fruition, to fruition. Uh, but I actually, uh, uh, there was a gentleman, Rick Baker, who uh, at Merrill Lynch down in Atlanta, he told me that he was a, uh, advisor, financial advisor for uh, youth villages, which is, you know, an A plus uh, rated incredible nonprofit that that really helps, you know, 40,000 kids across our country. They're unbelievable. And I thought I did a lot of research in how we could make it happen. Uh, you know, something that was so important to Stephen was he didn't want to bring on a lot of administrative uh, costs 
because he wanted everything that he raised to go a hundred percent to the charity and to the programs and to the girls. So that was our main focus of how do we make that happen? So youth villages came in, they handled all the admin and we created a partnership called Ganey's Fund. And so still to this day, it's done really well. You know, I think in the first three years we raised over 7 million for, for charities. Fantastic. Um, Yeah. And his, his girlfriend had the most brilliant idea. She said, why don't we come up with a Grammy viewing party that, you know, the industry who aren't going to the Grammys can come and watch the show. And we make that a fundraiser for the fund. And the first two years were wildly successful, um, you know, and, and of course with COVID, you know, this year's looking a little different, but, um, but it, it was really, really well done. And it's, and, you know, it's off and running now. So really, really will great. be a legacy for him. And, and yeah, so he's yeah. You know, really proud of that. It was, um, it was exciting to be a part of for sure. Of course. Yeah. yeah. $7 million is an incredible amount. There's a lot of good that can be done with that. So absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about how you got connected with Julian Lennon. Um, so I, again, he was kind of on my radar with Stephen. I, Stephen and Julian are friends. Uh, they've collaborated on some things. I never met Julian with Stephen though. Mm. Um, and you know, I had my daughter, um, you know, while I was still with Stephen and that was, you know, it was very challenging. I, I had my daughter and, uh, a nanny out, uh, on the road and just trying to make all of that work and family, keeping your family tight while you have all these obligations on the road. It's very tough to, to yes. juggle all that. Yeah. But uh, my daughter traveled to 10 different countries before she was two. Wow. And Incredible. I know. And at some point, you know, it was, um, we decided it was best to part ways. So I kind of took a step back at that time okay. and I really wanted to re uh, build my roster and my clients and my company um, with a few different buckets in mind. Um, one was the tech avenue. One was, you know, up and coming influencer, the TikTok, uh, I, you know, craze. And one was, I really did want to work with someone who was a humanitarian, a prestigious, uh, sophisticated um, client, you know, who really was about doing uh, good for the world and, and as a focus. And so that is exactly what I did. I, I had a mutual friend actually who had wanted to introduce me to Julian several times over the years and it never worked out. We got together, um, it finally did. And I, I met him in uh, early 20, 2019. And um, yeah, so we just, we really hit it off. We met a few times, another lots of synchronicity with that too. And I happened to be traveling over to Europe, uh, you know, a couple weeks later and was able to meet up with him again. And just the timing was perfect. We were able to really form a, a bond. And with management, you have to do that. You have yeah. to become, 
really tight and very trusting of each other and business partners. Um, you know, with Steven and I always felt like our relationship was like, if a father and daughter had a really mm. great business relationship, we both kind of respected each other mm. in that way, you know? Um, yeah. And so, so with Julian, um, and, and that's, you know, that's exciting. We're really working on launching all kinds of new, new things for him and some exciting things coming, coming up for sure this year for him. Um, but it's really it for him. Uh, I think you'll, you'll see a lot more of him in 2021. We've been working really hard for the last year on nice. just kind of getting, getting things together, building our team and being able to roll out some new projects that we're, that we're working on. Um, but on the tech side of things, you know, even from the Britney days, uh, I was always kind of presented with tech platforms. People were always hmm. pitching me tech platforms to get their artists and, or, you know, they wanted to get artists involved with it, or they wanted me to book talent for their, their new app or, you know, oh, different things. Yeah, like of that. course. Right. I used yeah. to see tons of pitches, um, you know, starting back then. And it was when I was, I got really interested in it. And, uh, and so I definitely wanted to focus on that a little bit more uh, on hmm. the tech side of things. I actually launched a a tech and music festival with Live Nation in Waterloo, Canada called Fuse Nation. Nation. Yeah. Yeah. It was Fantastic. a little bit, it was a little ahead of its time, but we had right. great talent. We had Steve Wozniak speak. We yeah. had Alexis Ohanian and Biz Stone and then Kygo performed and it was great. It was, it That's was awesome. really just a great concept. Um, but, and then I was also booking the Nobel Peace Prize concert at the same yeah, time. Extraordinary. And that's really revolutionary. You know, you wind up learning so much about what these different cultures are doing. And then also on the technology side. So I got very interested in, in getting involved and I was kind of looking for the right tech company to get involved with. Um, and, and I was introduced to the four co-founders of Looped at yes, the same time, course, yeah. really the same time as when I met Julian. So was it. Was oh, a, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and tell us a bit more about Looped. Um, it sounds like an exciting uh, prospect. It's uh, live streaming, but also one-on-one -on -one video. Yes. Yeah, so going into 2021, we are really, we will be seeing a rebrand in the next couple of weeks, but we are really becoming the world's greatest ultimate virtual venue. Mm. It's a place where you'll be able to see content, go backstage virtually, uh, interact with artists or, you know, the artists are interacting with fans in a variety of ways. And a hundred percent, I mean, it's so customizable. We have new tech products coming soon that are going to be rolling out over the next few months. And it started as a virtual meet and greet company. The technology is all proprietary. And I loved it from the beginning. My entertainment lawyer, Stephen Beer, actually introduced me to the co-founders. And it was brilliant because 
with both Stephen and Brittany, we ran, you know, an extensive VIP meet and greet business. Sure. That's right. The natural part of, you know, most tours at this point. So the beauty of it was that from your iPhone, you could, as the artist, you could announce that you're going to meet 50 fans, uh, you know, at this date and time. And through the app, you're able to do one-on-one video chats for 60 seconds each. And it's all private and secure, you know, no private information is shared. And with the push of a button, you know, they're just going, hi, how are you? They get to take a picture. They get the full video um, and people absolutely loved it. And from the artist side, they can, you know, talk to 55 fans within an hour. So if you are, you know, selling those, raffling them, giving them away as part of a brand endorsement, any of the above, you can kind of build different packages and make that work for you, or it can be built into a ticket package. Uh, so we were doing this in early 2019. And so well ahead of, you know, the COVID demand for, for this kind of thing. Uh, And we were doing really well. And at the top of the year in 2020, we did add in the live stream component. So we were very well positioned. You know, in March, we started doing daily demos. And when COVID hit, it was kind of like everyone we spoke to in 2019 needed the service and needed it now. Mm -hmm. And we would, we had, you know, 45 to 50 people every single day on a demo from different companies wanting to know how to use the tech. And so over the course, you know, when I started with, with Looped, I I came in as an advisor, really focused on talent and onboarding talent to use the app. And I've kind of, you know, taken different um, avenues, you know, with, with the company since then. And it's, it's grown so much. There's now, you know, I was the fifth person involved or sixth person. And, and now there's over 35 employees. Uh, And so it's seen, you know, tremendous growth, very exciting to be a part of, uh, you know, a a great culture. There's some new announcements that are going to be made pretty soon that are really exciting. But we've found that the interactive experiential part uh, is really what engages fans. And we've figured this out in many different avenues, whether it's podcasts, original content, comedy shows, you know, live stream concerts, fundraisers, the original cast of Hamilton came together. They raised over a million dollars for their charities on Looped. And so this is real, real money coming in, you know, and it's, and we were able in 2020, we put 250,000 fans through the platform. We had a thousand creators on the platform and impressive numbers. Yeah. And, you know, for creators, we were able to generate $5 million of revenue for them in 2020, which was, you know, a a really tough year for most. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, And so, you know, it's exciting to, you know, have been a resource to fill that need immediately. 
And now we're in the position of really innovating and, you know, rolling out some new tech products. We actually just uh, produced the virtual experience uh, of the Gotham Awards last mm -hmm. Monday, January 11th. It's wow, the first nice. of its kind with a hybrid event. So the presenters were physical on, on site at Cipriani in New York. And we had virtual tables where if the nominee was sitting at a table, they would be pulled in with the other nominees into the main stage and all the tables could privately watch within their table, the live show in the same browser. So Very nice. it was a huge feat, definitely drew on my award show uh, yeah. expertise for, for that. <laughs> we were the executive producers of the virtual experience and it was, uh, it, it went off well at the end. It was, it was, uh, it was a crazy, crazy thing to, to take on in a sense, but uh, really exciting. So there's all kinds of things virtually yeah. you can do. And, and I think when, you know, when physical events come back, there's going to be a need to also satisfy all the people who cannot be there physically. So That's I think right. you're going to yeah. see just a lot of these hybrid events and these, these uh, extra tickets, extra streams, extra experiences that will all happen virtually on top of the physical experiences. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, really exciting. <laughs> I have to say, Rebecca, I'm really impressed with the uh, highly responsive nature to uh, your career. Oh, um, you. you just see an opportunity and you don't have fear that it uh, stymies a lot of people or they, they get held back because they think that there's supposed to be a certain trajectory to what they're right. doing. Um, you've just been nimble, you've been thoughtful, and you've said, well, that's an interesting opportunity. I know I could use that. Let's go figure that out. So yeah. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Um, well done on all that. That's really Thank great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wanted to, absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, the inspiration behind the name Chicane, hmm. where did so that come from? I studied, I've studied Kabbalah, uh, for years. Uh, and when I was looking for a name, I was actually at the Oscars. So this was, you know, February, 2012. And I got there very early and I kept thinking, you know, how am I going to find a name for my company? I kept Googling things and they were already taken, you know, and right. I don't remember what, what they would have been, but uh, so I, I was watching the red carpet being rolled out and, you know, they're clanking and hot coffee in hand. And the only thing I kept hearing was someone's walkie was sitting close by, uh, you know, their radio. And it kept saying, um, when George Clooney comes around the chicane, do you know, when Cameron Diaz comes around the chicane, do you think we, and I'm going to myself, what's a chicane? What is a chicane? I, I, I really didn't know. I said, and I turned to the talent producer that was with me and I said, if I Google this name right now and it kind of makes sense for my company, this is what I'm going to name my company. And I looked at it and the first thing that popped up at the time, it said, you know, a chicane is a barrier in a race that forces direction. Right. And uh, I thought to myself, wow, that makes perfect sense for artist management when you're guiding the career or the growth of a company. And uh, I asked my Kabbalah teacher and he said, Rebecca, 
It sounds like Shekinah, which is, you know, the overwhelming feminine presence of God or the light on this. And so I did Mm -hmm. kind of think it was, you know, it was something that I certainly heard at the moment uh, that, you know, that was, that definitely drew my attention. So I went with it. So I decided that's the name. So yes, we have a lot of, uh, you know, race. Uh, race car kind of analogies when we're talking about <laughs> different things in the country. Right, right. But it's another perfect example of what I was saying. Like you're just responsive to what was happening around you and it fit and you're like, I'm going to embrace this. And it yeah, just worked yeah. out so perfectly. How, how many people are just too afraid to listen to those signs? They would have just ignored right. it. That's, that's just a walkie talkie, What, whatever. Yeah, um, or that's a, you know, what does that name? It doesn't make any yeah. sense. I, I, uh, I definitely am a quick decision maker. I've always Mm -hmm. kind of been like that. Like when I make a decision, we go for it, you know? Uh, And I, I, uh, I think there are a lot of people who struggle with indecisiveness or, you know, overthinking something, you know, that your time and energy can be spent on creating and strategizing versus, you know, mulling over, you know, agonizing over something that you can just come up with and run with. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's in store in the future for Chicane? So we're really, you know, we're really expanding, obviously with Looped. Looped is a huge, huge priority for us. I actually um, you know, I'm definitely an advisor there, uh, but I also head up strategic partnerships. And, mm-hmm. you know, while that all came through Chicane, it's kind of taking a life of its own. Um, but we do have a couple other tech companies that we will be working with soon. Um, one that I'm actually going to tell you about because it's, okay. it's, um, it's exciting. It's called Remind AI. And the AI part is a technology that creates uh, playlists for the elderly community and people who are battling dementia. And these are not oh. just, you know, generated from demographic automatically, like, uh, you know, all of our favorite streaming platforms do. Sure. This is really about personalizing it and you know, with family members and creating a playlist that helps them with their memory and helps them experience and enjoy life more. And so they can use it with any device, but then there's also a device that they can wear around their neck that we provide called My Bandana. And so Remind AI is something that's just in the beginning, um, incredible technology. Also, you know, again, music therapy, talent focused, uh, but, um, but, you know, it really comes down to the tech and it's really smart. Uh, and so that's couple- phenomenal. Yeah. What a great concept. Yeah. I was just, as you're describing it, I was thinking about um, PTSD sufferers. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And kind of bringing people back to, you know, music, when you hear a certain song, it's almost like you can taste the air of where you were. Absolutely. No, it's a definite trick. Such a power. And if you can bring people into a happy place or where, you know, they felt healthy and, you know, joy, and that's the beauty of that. And so, 
So that's really exciting. We're we're gonna be we're gonna be uh, you know joining forces with them pretty soon. And then uh, you know we also have a few new clients that are that are coming up in 2021. Um, and you know I'm also working on a, a completely different project, which is a uh, a new product. It's actually a mommy mommy helper type product for toddlers and preschoolers. So uh, it encourages kids to wash their hands, and it's very cute very and timely with a children's book. So that's nice. like, that's a completely separate thing. It's not a part of the cane group, but you know, you gotta, you gotta keep going. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's so fantastic. Rebecca, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Definitely watch out, watch out for Julian. Uh, this is an exciting year for him with really Good. big, you know, big commercial partnerships, his White Feather Foundation in terms of the focus on the environment. Uh, he has new music coming out for the first time uh, with BMG, uh, which will Wonderful. roll out, you know, probably in the summer. And he has books and all kinds of things. So definitely, you know, keep an eye on him. And also uh, our TikTok artist, Molly Shivali. She is a young artist who quickly garnered 700,000 followers on TikTok. And she has a new EP. Wow that we're going to be, you know, we're really working on launching her career from the very beginning. Amazing. So exciting stuff. Absolutely, a lot of great projects uh, that are coming down the pike. It's really exciting. Well, thank you again, Rebecca. I appreciate the candor with which you've shared all of these um, uh, facets of your career and uh, the openness of, uh, of, of how it all came to, to pass. So uh, it's been really a great treat. I think it'll be very inspiring for our audience. Thank you. Thanks for having me.